All right. Good morning. Listen, um, if you are a note taker, you're going to want to get out um, whatever you take notes on. So if you're not a note taker, this might be a good day to get your phone out, open up a notes app. Um, this is week nine of, of Remix. This morning's just going to be a lot of just, I mean, teaching. Is that cool? Just um, so stuff you might want to jot down. Um, everything we've talked about for the last eight weeks in the Remix series has kind of led to this point, right? So what we've said is we, we know that there's a, a, a mixing of people, like we're going to come back together. And so we knew eventually, and who knew it would be this long, but we knew eventually we'd be in this place, and so we'd be coming back into the building. And, um, you know, don't have to raise your hands, but, like, it, it might have felt a little bit different, right, than it used to when we were here. Um, some of you that are at home still kind of, you haven't had that experience yet, but but you will. And so we've just, like, we're taking these first steps out of isolation and kind of back into face-to-face -face interaction, and that can be a little different, right? And so we've tried to prepare for that. Um, last week we talked about Psalm 42.7 because, you know, I told you I'd, I'd been at the beach, and God, I love the beach, just love being there. I'd been out in the ocean, and the waves had been like just, they weren't as rough as they've been before, but just, you know, just crashing all over you. And so Psalm 42.7 says that deep calls to deep, and then he says, and your waves and your breakers crash over me. And so we talked about, like, we've, we've always in a church seen stuff like the deep as, man, I would love to get to the deep things of God. But to get to the deep things of God, you have to get through the waves and breakers that crash all over you. Because God's trying to take things off of us that we won't need in the deep. Because in the deep, when you really get to deep places with God, have you noticed this? The all, only thing that can really help you in the deep places is God. So he has to get everything else off of us. So we talked about that last week. And, and then this morning, right? So we're talking about specifically, like, some, some very specific, I'm going to call them waves. That might not be the best way to sum it up. But I'm going to talk about three waves that God uses in our lives to prepare us for that deep place. So three specific waves. And um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Uh, gosh, there's... um. There are parts of the Bible that we can read, and we just go, man, that is just a devotional, meditational thought. Do you have those? That's what we make coffee mugs out of, right? You know, for I can do all things through Christ, or um, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Like, these are great verses, but sometimes we read passages in the Bible, and if we're honest, when we read them, our first thought is kind of like, yikes, right? And Romans 12 it's one of those. Now, we're only going to be in verses 9 and 10 today, okay? Only two verses because it's that practical, right? But I've been reading Romans 12, like, for weeks now. And every time I read through Romans 12, I have one thing that constantly goes through my uh, Let's get ready to rumble! That. That's what I hear in my mind every time I read Romans chapter 12. And not because I'm saying, like, you should come to church looking for a fight, but because when I read Romans chapter 12 and the very practical things that Paul says should mark our relationships, listen, when we start to remix, it can kind of start to feel like a rumble. I've, there's a, um, a researcher, her name is Brene Brown, and she loves to use the term rumble for 
in a relationship, when you have to work through hard stuff, she calls that a rumble, right? And so I think, I think that's a great word. It's a great way for us to think about it's okay to read scriptures and say, yikes, that might be, that might be a little tough to work out. Um, and then if you're in Romans 12, just quickly, let me just say this. It's in the relationship. It's in the context of family. Um, don't raise your hands. Don't point to the people in the same row as you. But, like, context of family, have you noticed? We always say it like, oh, family. But family is tough, y'all, especially when you've been in the house together. Nonstop for months, right? I mean, our routines are jacked up, and we're closer than we ever, I mean, ha again, don't raise your hand. Just think about this. I guess if you're at home, you can probably look away and point to people. But how many times over the last five months have you just thought to yourself, if I could just get away from these people that I love, but they're always here, <laughs> right? It's hard in the context of family. And so this whole chapter, chapter 12, is written because Romans is written to family. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, just jot that down. Here's what it says that this book was written to all who were loved by God, all who were called to be saints. And then Paul says, he talks about our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole book of Romans is written to believers. It's written to people who are in the same family of God. In chapter 12, in verse 1, Paul says, brothers. In verse Five, he mentions those who are in Christ. In verse 13, he talks about God's people. This whole thing is written in a family context, okay? And like I said, if we've learned nothing else in five months, I, I, there's a, a song that was, it's a little old, written by a singer named Warren Barfield, and the line that I've never, I can never forget is, love's not a fight, but it's something worth fighting for. And if you've heard that song, you're singing it in your head right now, Right? But that's the truth. Love's not a fight, but it is something worth fighting for. I'm not saying we come to church looking to fight. I'm just simply saying relationships are tough. So this morning, just to continue from last week's working through the waves on the way to the deep thing, I want to point out three relational waves in these two verses. Um, these are the places that if you haven't begun to rumble in these areas, you are going to rumble in these areas. Just say out loud, I am going to rumble. It's, it's just a fact, right? And so we think that if we love Jesus, that will never happen. But if you're in a family, if you're in a relationship, you are going to rumble. But I'm telling you that the rumble is worth it because this is where the deep grace and truth and unity is revealed to a world. Listen, the world knows nothing except rumbling. And they're looking for an example of what it means to be together with grace and with truth and with love. That's the example that we can give to the world. Here's your big idea. The bigger the rumble, the greater the reward. Simple as that. The bigger the rumble, the greater the reward. So here we go. Um, three different waves. Now, before I tell you the first one, look back up at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me just point something out really quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul uses a really weird phrase, and he says this, to present yourself as a what? Living sacrifice. So 
This entire chapter that we're getting ready to read, and just so you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, I'm giving you a lot of disclaimers because I want you to breathe and be yourself. Permission granted to every now and then have to resist the urge to elbow the person next to you and say, he's talking about you, <laughs> right? Because you're going to feel like that during this message. And it's probably true, but they probably could also elbow you and say the same thing, right? So what I want you to see is this entire chapter begins with Paul saying, I need you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Everything I'm going to talk about for the next chapter is going to require that you present yourself as a sacrifice. And, and, and if I can be really, really honest and say what all of us are thinking, sometimes it would be easier to just offer ourselves as a sacrifice, right? Like God just... I'm happy to lay, lay myself on the altar and you just go ahead and take me out and take me to be with you for the rest of eternity. It's the living sacrifice that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to live out the sacrifice. But if we're going to do this Romans 12 thing, if we're going to do this remix thing, then we have to live out the sacrifice. We have to live out these three waves that we're going to talk about. So the first, the first wave we've got to live through is to love deeply. To love deeply. It's in verse 9. Paul says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. In the NIV it says love must be sincere. So the words I'm using here are love deeply. In this remix, in, what, in, in this family context, what the world is looking for is an example of what it means for people who might not have even liked each other before to love Deeply. So here's um, Greek words. Just to, we'll, we'll nerd out for a second on the Greek. The Greek word for sincere means without hypocrisy. Now, let's just camp out on the hypocrisy word for a second. Because that's a loaded word, isn't it? So let me tell you what hypocrisy doesn't mean. Hypocrisy doesn't mean not perfect. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe it out in front of you, not hard, all right? Keep it to yourself. I'm so thankful that hypocrisy doesn't mean not perfect. Because if it meant not perfect, then we would never get past calling each other hypocrites. Because um, raise your hand if you're perfect. Right. I get it, we're perfect in Christ. We're just trying to rumble that out, right? We're trying to figure that out. But it doesn't mean that. What hypocrisy means is pretending to have something I don't or to be something I'm not. It literally comes from Greek theater that when they would hold the mask up. And so the person behind the mask in Greek theater, if you go all the way back to the origin of the word hypocrite, they were called hypocrites because they had a mask on and they were telling a story that was hidden from reality. So hypocrite, we've taken that word and hijacked it and use it as a weapon to point out how somebody isn't perfect. But that's not what hypocrite means. Hypocrite means to actually pretend to have something that you don't. Well, I love Jesus, and I'm so close to Jesus, and then I'm living a life that completely doesn't reflect that. That's hypocrisy. To actually try to pretend I have something that I don't. It's just that in relationships, sometimes it's hard to prove that, isn't it? Now, if I said to you, if I bought, like, um, does anybody in, really into cars here? Like, 
really into cars, like you would buy driving gloves if you had a nice sports car. Anybody like that? Can you imagine if I like bought sports, like driving car, driving gloves, and I started acting like I had fill in the blank of whatever you think is the most beast car on the planet. If I started acting as if I had that car, at some point, what would you say to me? Take me for a ride in the car, right? And then, like, the gig is up, right? The mask is down, and I'm like, oh, it's just kind of But if I'm pretending all this time like I actually have the car, that's hypocrisy. I just want to make sure we understand what that word means, okay, before we go any further. Because if we don't understand what it means, all of us want to be more like Jesus, and all of us want to be holier than all of us are going to be under the weight of, holy cow, I'm a hypocrite already. No, no, you're only a hypocrite if you pretend that you don't need Jesus, and you pretend like you have it all together. Not having it together doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you human, and it makes you eligible for the grace of God. So the best step away from hypocrisy is honesty. It's, listen to this statement. A willingness to move past the surface level of agreement to the deeper level of alignment. Well, I'll, I, I can only do things if I agree. No, no, we can actually be aligned on the grace of God. That's the deeper level. A couple verses for you. 1 Samuel 14, 7. Gosh, do not have time to go into this story at all. I wish I did. Um, Jonathan has an armor bearer, and his armor bearer says this. Do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. In the NIV, it says, I'm with you heart and soul. That's what it means to love deeply. No conditions. Just, I'm with you. I'm with you heart and soul. Go do what you want to do, and I'm going to be with you. There's no, there's no condition where I would say, oh, kidding. No, I'm with you heart and soul. 1 Peter 1, says this. You were cleansed from your sins when you, when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your heart. That's agape love, right? And so what I want you to see is this sincere, honest, deep love, this is part of who we are as believers. So if you're studying the Bible like, who am I as a believer? You're a person who loves deeply. You love people deeply because you're a believer. We don't always get it right for sure, but... It's worth fighting through the wave. It's worth fighting through the rumble of loving deeply to get to the things of God. Here's wave number two. In the messy middle, we will definitely love deeply, but we also have to hold tightly. Hold tightly. The Greek word for hold means to glue together, to cement, to fasten together, to join oneself to. It's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. And if you've been to a wedding, you've heard the word cleave. Right, Matthew 19.5 says, hey, come in and come, leave and then cleave to the person that you're marrying. Literally, in marriage, God sees that as super glue, putting people together. And that's what it means when he says to hold tightly. Your version might say cling tightly, but to hold means to be joined together like that. So when we talk about Jonathan saying to um, to Jonathan's armor bearer saying, hey, I'm with you heart and soul. That heart and soul attitude, that's what it means to be like, I'm glued to you, and wherever you go, I'll go. I think of Ruth, right, saying, hey, your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. That's what it means to hold tightly. But we can't hold tightly to the good unless we've let go of the bad. So we've got to, it says, hate what is wrong, right? Isn't that what it says? It says, 
Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. So the Greek word for hate means to have a horror of. So I, don't raise your hand. If you like horror movies, right, like when you see whatever happens, all the jump scares and stuff that happens in movies, right, if you love that kind of stuff, then what God's saying here through Paul is, like, have that same attitude towards the things that are evil. Have a horror of. Like, it's crazy to me in uh, movies. So in a horror movie, they'll always run upstairs, right, to our, like there's nowhere else to go, or they'll run all the way up to the top of the building. Like, they, all, or they, they run to where they can't get away, and you're, like, watching it going, what are you doing? And, and so what Paul's saying is, like, have such a horror of what's evil that you wouldn't run Tap, you would run as far away from it as you possibly can. And I think sometimes what we do is we try to hold on to the good, but we don't actually let go of the bad. And I want to make sure that we get this as a church. We're supposed to hate the thing, not the person. Paul said to hate what, not to hate who. That's so critical. And I think sometimes, too, we think that, well, if we all hate the same stuff, then we'll all have unity over that, right? So how many of you heard this statement that, the church is known more for what it's against than what it's for, right? Um, I'm a big Shark Tank guy. Anybody else like to watch Shark Tank? Okay, so I got a few friends in the house. I love watching Shark Tank. And there was a guy that came out on Shark Tank, and he presented this, this business idea, and it was an app called Hater. And Hater was a dating app that he invented. And so the, the way that he would hook people up, get people together, was he would, they would, like, answer questions, take a survey, and if they disliked similar things he would say that they were a match. So his thing was, like, we're trying to get people together based on what they dislike together. I mean, it sounds brilliant, but it didn't work. Because we can't just get together on the things that we hate. We have to get together on things that are good, that we love, right? And so Paul says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We've got to see the good, call out the good, and celebrate the good. So that leads to this question, and we don't have time to go fully into it. How do we know what's good and what's evil? Who gets to decide that? Who makes that call, right? And so I know that, like somebody already said, God. Like, that's the obvious answer, right? Well, God makes that call. We do live in a culture where they don't want, nobody wants God to make that call. So we want to make that call, right? And, and so I'm not even going to argue that. I'm going to just show you one scripture. We're going to let it hang there, and you can wrestle through with God. You can rumble this with God. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, what I want you to see is that even the enemy of our soul knows who knows good and evil. Because this is what he said. God knows to Eve. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Even Satan, the enemy of our soul, admits that the only person who knows good and evil is God. And that was how he tempted Eve. Hey, if you want to know good and evil, just eat the fruit because you'll be like God who knows good and evil. So what that says to me is if I want to hate what's evil and cling to what's good, I better be clinging to the good father. I better be in his presence as much as possible, in his word as much as possible so that I can know what I need to cling to and what I need to leave. Last wave. We're going to be in verse 10. We're going to hang out here for just a second, okay? Verse 10 says this. In the New Living Translation, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. In the NIV, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above 
yourselves. The NIV starts talking about this brotherly love. That's that family language. But I want you to see the last part of that verse. Take delight in honoring each other. The English Standard Version, I'm throwing a lot of different versions at you today. The ESV, I love this one. Here's how it, it, it translates that verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.10 is what's on your band. Right? Honor one another. This is our honor system for like, you know, and so honoring somebody doesn't, doesn't look at them and like question why you have the color you have. Honor just looks at the color you have and honors that color. Honors the person and the heart behind that color, right? It's not, a, it's not like, well, let's have an interrogation about why you're green. What's wrong with you? It, no, it's just, oh, you're green or you're yellow or you're red. It doesn't matter why you picked what you picked. It's just we're going to outdo one another in showing honor, right? But what I want you to see is that some versions, most versions, use this language, preferring one another. And that's what I want to start to close with. The Greek word for prefer that in some translations it's, it's translated take delight, and some it's above yourselves. That Greek word for prefer, this is the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. And it means this, to go before and show the way, to go before and lead, to go before as leader. And so I'm going to say that the third wave is a call to honor courageously. Because how many of you know that it takes courage to go first? And God's calling the church to go first in this area, to honor courageously. It's so easy to complain about the state of the world. It's easy to complain about the state of the church or the issue that really gets you going or me going. It's easy to do that. But it is hard to honor others even when they aren't acting honorably. I mean, that takes courage, y'all. And we need that. Because we need to be giving and receiving the grace of honor even when we aren't acting honorably. The church is saved by grace when we didn't deserve it. And so we are to set the example in honor. Listen to this statement. A culture that can't honor itself should be able to look at the church and see us doing what they cannot. How we honor one another how we love deeply, cling tightly, honor courageously should be contagious. It should make a culture that can't do those things apart from Christ look at us and go, how in the world can you pull that off? And if they were to come to you and say, how in the world are you able to love like that? How in the world are you able to honor people like that? How can you continue to hold on to the good like that? Our answer should be short, and it should be one word, and it should be Jesus. Because he did all of that for me. And if he did all of that for me, that's what I want to do for you. I mentioned at the beginning that the, the bigger the rumble, the greater the reward. And so can I just show you the reward? Look at the very bottom of Romans chapter 12, the very last verse. Verse 21. And you would do well to read Romans 12 today, just the whole chapter, and just marinate on it, take notes on it. But the very last statement says this, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The fact is that because that statement, overcome evil by doing good, is in there, that means it's possible. It means it's actually possible that we could overcome evil by doing good. So when we do that hard work of rumbling, right, when we start to 
love deeply, when we hold tightly, when we honor courageously, the promise of that scripture is that evil will be overcome. So let me ask some obvious questions. You can feel free to respond yes or no. Will that be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Yes. We're a little hesitant there, right? Will it cost us? Absolutely. Now, I know that we are bumping up against the end of your attention span. <laughs> Can I just tell you one last story, and then we'll... We have the perfect closing song because I want to call you to a place where you can just be with the Lord and let this kind of marinate in your soul. One of my favorite stories from history is the story of, of a, a fifth century monk, and his name was Telemachus. And when I think of loving deeply and holding tightly to the good, hating the evil, honoring courageously, I always think of Telemachus. His story, I used to tell it all the time on the road when I would go speak places. And, and I told the story all the time, and I found out later it wasn't even true, which is terrible, right? So the, the story that I used to tell people all the time was that Telemachus was in his house, and there was this big commotion, this big crowd was walking past, and, and he kind of got caught up in the crowd, swept up in the crowd, and he followed in that crowd all the way down to the Colosseum where they were having gladiator games. And because he was a monk, he was grieved that people would fight to the death. And so Telemachus was overcome, and he jumped over the wall, got down onto the floor, the dirt floor of the Colosseum, and he stood between these two huge gladiators that had their swords drawn. And he put their, his hand on that one, and his hand on that one, and he looked at the emperor, and he said, in the name of Christ, stop. And, and the soldiers, the gladiators were like, what is this little small monk doing? And he said it again, in the name of Christ, stop. And the gladiators took their swords and just ran them through Telemachus. And Telemachus dropped to his knees and blood coming out and looked at the emperor and with his last breath said, in the name of Christ, stop. And he fell to the floor dead. And as the legend goes, the crowd that had been there cheering for bloodthirst began to stand one at a time and leave the Colosseum. And as history records it, that's the last time gladiator games were ever held in the Colosseum. It's a powerful story. It's not true. That stinks because it's such a powerful story. But then when I heard the real story, it's even more powerful. Because there really was a monk named Telemachus, and he really did get caught up in a crowd. He really did end up in the Colosseum where there really was gladiator games going on. And Telemachus really was moved, and he really did jump over the wall, and he went onto the dirt floor, and he really did put his hands on those gladiators, and he yelled, in the name of Christ, stop! But what happened next is that that bloodthirsty crowd stood up and stoned him to death. And as history records, that is the last time gladiator games were held, the emperor called off gladiator games as a result of his death. Because one man, just one man, had the courage 
to love deeply the things of God, to hold tightly to what was good, to honor courageously even a culture that couldn't honor itself. And history was changed because of it. Now my call to you is clear. He's called us to live that kind of lifestyle. To hold on to what is good. To not cling to what is evil. To honor one another and man, to love deeply. To love honestly. To love past just agreeing. Down to the depth of alignment. An alignment that says this, you and I, we were bought with the same blood of Jesus. The same blood bought us. We are family. And family's going to rumble, right? But man, the harder the rumble, the bigger the rumble, the greater the reward. And at the end of the day, this family of God in this building, in your home, wherever you are right now, globally, worldwide, this family of God that lives out these truths of Romans 12, 9 and 10, man, we're going to see evil overcome by good. We're going to see a culture changed. We're going to see a world led back to Jesus. And I want to call you this morning as the band leads you in a closing song, I want to call you to be Telemachus. Be that person who steps into the arena, the messy middle, the dangerous place. And simply says, God, I'll stand and I'll do what you've called me to do, even if it costs me everything. Because the end is worth it. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And would you just meditate on that as the band leads you in this, in this last song?
So we're going to close this out. Um, I'm going to ask you to just take your hand and put it on your heart, um, even at home. And um, those of you that are here in the building with us, when we finish praying and I say amen, will you just stay seated just for a moment longer? Um, and those of you that were here this morning, I just want to say thanks for joining us online. We hope that you can be with us next week. Um, the, the form will go live at 6 o'clock tonight. We have added a few more spaces. And so um, let me just say this. If for some reason you can't get in because it fills up faster than you wanted, just shoot us a message and let us know, okay? But 6 o'clock tonight. Close your eyes. Father, I pray right now for those of us in this room, for those of us in our homes right now as we have our hands on our hearts. And my prayer, God, for all of us is that you would fill us with courage. I think about how many times you had to tell Joshua, just in the span of about 12 verses, to be strong and courageous. And it was because you knew where you were taking him. You knew what he was calling, you were, what you were calling him to do. You knew, God, the, the, the promised land that waited and also the fights that were going to come and the rumbles that he was going to go through and, and the crossing of a Red Sea and all the stuff, God. You knew the messy middle that he was stepping into. And, and so I pray over all of us, God, we are being called by you into those places. We are being called by you to take the light of the gospel to the darkest parts of our culture. And it is hard, God. And so I pray right now for a measure of faith and boldness and courage over all of my family. That we would step into those places, not relying on ourselves and our strength and our thoughts and our ability to keep it all together but relying on you. Literally being in the deep place and knowing that you are our only hope. We choose to live out what it means to abide with you. And I thank you for the courage that will come as a result. In your name, Jesus. Amen.